Today I'm going to talk about, you know, we've been in this uh, greater series. I don't know if you've noticed anything about the greater, um, but today or this morning we're going to talk about how God is greater than the lie, not necessarily just lies, which he is greater than, but greater than the lie. Um, And it's kind of ironic. This is a prezi, so church, prezi, prezi, church. And the, the person, that, the first person that ever showed me what Prezi was and changed my life is actually here this morning. So big shout out to you. Thank you for uh, impacting my life like that. Um, I don't know if you guys watch TV or movies or read books or um, have Netflix. We won't, we won't name names, but we all spend time watching these TV shows or these series and we get emotionally invested in these characters by spending, you know, like hours weeks, days, months, and I won't name names, but some of us will even trade our much-needed beauty sleep to binge watch through five seasons of a show in like one night. Um, You know, I've never done this, of course, uh, but other people, I've heard of other people doing that. It's like, hey, did you get caught up on that show? I was like, yeah, I started last night and I'm caught up. Goodness. Well, we get emo- or emotionally invested in these characters. You know, we, we get excited over their victories and we like weep over their disappointments. And it seems ridiculous that we're getting that attached to fictional characters. They're not real, but in our minds, they are real. And the worst thing ever is to get emotionally invested in a character and then they turn on you. And you realize like halfway through the show, like they've been the bad guy the entire time. Um, <laughs> Like, why in the world do we feel a, like a personal sense of betrayal on that? Like, I trusted you and you turned on me. Um, or what's better is uh, when someone posts something about that. Have you ever been going through Twitter? It's like, hey, I can't believe it. So-and-so turned out to be the bad guy the whole time. Like, no, why would you put that on the internet? I don't know if you guys know proper internet etiquette, but we do not post spoilers online, no Twitter, no Facebook, no Tumblr. You keep that stuff to yourself for five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten years after. Like, if, if there is a plot twist in Gunsmoke, don't post it online because somebody might not have known it. Oh, so just receive that revelation uh, right now. Um, don't you love it when you're the person that, like, as the reader or as the audience member, you know that someone's a bad guy and the main character doesn't? And so, like, they're, like, at the front door, like, oh, yeah, sure, you can come on in. And we're sitting there, like, don't let him in the house. He's going to steal your money, like, lock up the dogs, like, bolt the deadbolt. Don't let him in the house. He's lying to you. He's lying to you. Do you guys, I'm, I'm the only one on that one. Okay, sweet. Okay, so I'm the only one that does that. Well, like as an audience member, you can tell that someone is lying in the story because you have a higher perspective than the person in the story. Sometimes, not always. I'm, I'm the world's worst about figuring out plot clues. I went to a, a, a movie with my brother and the director is one of those people that's all big into plot twists and he knew it from the very beginning of it. And I'm, I've got no clue. I'm like, Who, who's the bad guy in this? And then you find out at the end, he's like, Told you. So he ruined the whole movie for me. Um, But, you know, the unfortunate thing is like sometimes we're no better at finding out who the betrayers are in our lives than like the idiots in these TV shows. Like, have you ever been double crossed by a friend? You ever gotten stabbed in the back by a business partner? Have you ever stabbed anyone in the back? Not you. Other people do that. We don't do that. Um, but has anyone ever lied to you? Has, have your kids ever lied to you? 
your parents ever lied to you? We were talking about that uh, today or this week up at the office. And like for some reason, kids think that they like that no one knows that they're lying. And like the older I get and I, I see like, you know, not any of our youth, but other youth, you know, will start lying. And it's like, I know that you're lying. <laughs> and, you know, like you're not getting away with anything. And so like I think back like, did my mom know about all that stuff? And the answer is yes, she knew every time because um, she's that awesome of a mom. Um, it's her uh, birthday this upcoming week, so happy birthday, mom. You're wonderful. Um, but we as an audience member or a character can see past the lie in the stories, but sometimes have a hard time uh, seeing past the lie in our own lives. How much would you give? Like if, if you've been double-crossed or stabbed in the back, how much would you give to have someone be able to go inside your story and say, don't trust him. Don't let him in the house. Lock the door. He's stealing your money. Like, what would you have given for someone to have tipped you off on the fact that someone was about to double cross you? Like, wouldn't it be awesome if we had like a like warning, deception? You are being deceived. Like, unfortunately, we don't we don't have that. Um, see, just in the same way that like individuals tell lies to us, and like some other people will lie to other people, not us, because we don't lie, um, but. We can deceive each other, and we can be deceived in a story. We can be deceived in business deals. Well, just in the same way that those are just little threads of a lie, the enemy has this bigger concept of what he's doing. He is weaving together individual lies, not so that he can deceive us in one area. He is planning on weaving these interconnected lies to weave this tapestry of darkness and then pull that wool over all of humanity's eyes. So it's not just about the one thing, you know, it's, you know, it's not about winning the battle, it's about winning the war to him. And I'm going to call this the lie, you know, it's big L, it's the lie. It's not uh, me believing that, you know, something about myself that's not true. It's not you believing uh, one of your friends that's stabbing you in the back. That's not really what I'm talking about. This morning we're going to talk about the lie as a whole. And it's an entire worldview that the enemy tries to pull over our eyes. Um, It's kind of like the matrix, not that we condone the matrix, but it's this false sense of reality that the enemy tries to get us to buy into. See, when you read a story, you can see past that deception because you are operating on a higher plane. Well, what happens if you had the opportunity to go inside the story, come down from your high plane and go inside the story and talk to that, that deceived character? Do you think it would actually do any good? Like if you got to show up right before something bad happens, like don't trust him, he's lying to you. Do you think that that would actually change? And it's a fictional story, so the, it's kind of moot. But revelation is just a little bit more tricky than that. You can't just show up at someone's house and then believe you. Because what makes you more credible than the person that's lying to them? Like you show up with this laundry list of facts. Why should they believe you? Hey, this person's deceiving you. Well, why? Because they are. I know better. Trust me. Why should I trust you? Because you should. You know, when we speak truth into each other's lives, we have to establish relationship. We have to build because trust is not just about facts. Trust is always uh, found in the context of relationships. You know, have you ever wondered why Jesus spent so much time with his disciples? Have you ever wondered why Jesus hangs out with us so much? is because it's not just about what he's saying. I don't like it when I do that, sorry. I apologize. 
There we go. It's a little bit easier on everyone's ears. It's not about just the facts that he's saying. He doesn't want us to just simply believe things. He wants us to believe him. In order to believe him, he has to spend time with us to open up those avenues of trust, to open up those avenues of relationship. Um, In John 8, uh, we see uh, Jesus talking to a group of deceived people about their deception. So how about that for uh, some inception on that? Um, He points out the root of their blindness, and they're still completely clueless. Um, And it's a a few verses, so I, um, I, not caution, I admonish, I encourage you guys to go ahead and grab your Bibles out and flip to this. Um, Pull out your iPhones. Um, Leave your droids up. No one cares about the droids. That did not get the response that I was wanting. So, (laughs) Okay, so John 8, uh, starting in verse 31. Jesus said to the people who believed in him, so not to just random weirdos, said to the people who believed in him, you are truly my disciples if you remain faithful to my teachings, and then you'll know the truth, and the truth will set you free. But we are descendants of Abraham, they said. We have never been slaves, but you said... uh, I'm sorry, but we have never been slaves to anyone. What do you mean you'll set us free? I love the fact that they said that we will never be slaves to anyone because anybody that's read the Old Testament, they spent their entire lives being slaves. Like the story of the Old Testament is one foreign invader enslaving the Jewish people one after another. So I do think it's ironic that they said that when at that moment in time, they were currently being enslaved by the Romans. So... Way to go with that for uh, truth-telling. Jesus replied, I tell you the truth. Everyone that sins is a slave to sin. A slave is not a permanent member of the family, but a son is a part of the family forever. So if the son sets you free, you are truly free. Yes, I realize that you're descendants of Abraham, but some of you are trying to kill me because there's no room in your hearts for my message. I'm telling you what I saw when I was with my father, but you are following the advice of your father. Our father is Abraham, they declared. No, Jesus said, for if you were really the children of Abraham, you would follow his example. Instead, you're trying to kill me because I told you the truth. Have you ever told the truth to someone and they tried to kill you or yell at you at least? It's like, I am trying to help you, I promise. No, you're not. Um, So Jesus shows up on the scene and they try to kill him for telling the truth. Abraham never did such a thing. I love this fact that Jesus is saying, I knew Abraham. He never tried to kill me, but you guys are trying to kill me. No, you are imitating your real father. They replied, we, are, we aren't illegitimate children. God himself is our true father. Jesus told him, if God were your true father, you would love me because I have come to you from God. I'm not here on my own, but he sent me. Why, this is important. Why can't you understand what I'm saying? It's because you can't even hear me. For you are the children of your father, the devil, and you love to do the evil things that he does. He was a murderer from the beginning, and he always hated the truth, because there is no truth in him. When he lies, it is consistent with his character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. So when I tell you the truth, you naturally don't believe me. So just the same way that we can't slip into a book, we can't slip into a TV show and just warn people that what they're doing is wrong. We have to build trust. Jesus shows up on the scene and says, guys, you are deceived. You are deceived. Stop being deceived. And they have no clue that, that this illusion even exists. Jesus told them exactly what was wrong, but they're still, uh, the problem is that they were acting like they were still a part of the enemy's family. 
Even though that they had believed in Christ, they were still acting like they were a part of the enemy's family. The craftiest part of the lie that the enemy tries to pull over there is that he spends so much time on the illusion of the fact that the illusion even exists. He lies about the fact that he lies. And so when we believe the liar, when we believe that lie, when we bite into the worldview that he tries to tell us, it limits our ability to perceive the truth because we get so turned around. He, I mean, he is like, he is like a true uh, magician. It's all smoke and mirrors. There's no actual magic. The enemy is not actually doing anything because he's been stripped of all of his power. Christ defeated him on the cross. He's, he's a vanquished foe, but he can still work illusions. He can still lie to us and get us to believe uh, what he's saying. Um, when we believe the lie, we get so confused that we start calling good evil and evil good. We get turned around and our ability to perceive the truth is damaged. See, um, the Jews that he was talking to here were putting faith in their ethnicity. Jesus shows up and says, if you'll leave your old way of doing things and you'll follow me, I will change your life. And they said, yeah, we'll do that. But they were still putting their faith in their ethnicity. Our father is Abraham. For years, we've been on the right side. Jesus is saying, no, it doesn't matter if your father is Abraham. They were putting their faith in their ethnicity. They were putting their faith in their rules and their religion. They were believing that the law was going to save them. If I follow the right amount of rules, if I do what I'm supposed to, I will be saved. When in actual fact, the law was their greatest source of condemnation. They were believing someone that was going to turn on them and they had no idea. They thought that the law was their best friend. They thought this system of rules and regulations, yeah, we're, we're fans of the law. We are people of the law. When they turn 13, they will have a bar mitzvah. They become a son of the law. And all the time, that was the thing that was condemning them, and they had no clue. And Jesus shows up on the scene and says, stop worrying about that. Forget the law. He's not your friend. The law is not your friend. He's going to condemn you in the end. Well, the benefit of that, or to our shame, is that the enemy has never adopted new tricks. He's still doing the exact same thing. He will try to get us, every one of us, to trust in our own ability to do things. Try harder. Do better. Promise you'll never do that again. We, we start trusting in our ability to perform the work of the gospel. Now that we're saved, it's on us. Jesus says, you better walk straight. You better fly right. Okay, don't do bad things. Don't do bad things. Okay, I did a bad thing. Ugh. Don't do bad things again. And it's all trusting in your own ability to keep the works of the law. When the gospel says that I couldn't do right things and that Christ not only freed me from that, he did the right things on my behalf. So when God comes to me and says, all right, where's your good works? Jesus. All right, what are you going to do about your sin? Jesus. He said he took care of every bit of it. That's the gospel. But so many of us will try to buy into the lie of the enemy that we need to provide God with works of righteousness. God says, you have to be perfect. Well, I did my best. It's not good enough. Perfection. And our only claim is to believe the gospel. I couldn't do right. Jesus did right for me. Um, well, in these verses uh, that I just read in John 8, Jesus tells us uh, a couple of ways 
about how to get set free. He says that the truth sets us free and that the sun sets us free. You shall know the truth and the truth will make you free. If the sun sets you free, you're free indeed. And, you know, because we know the end of the story, we know that Jesus was talking about himself on both of those. See, uh, the same way that individual lies are just strings in this greater false reality, in this greater deception, there are individual truths in the Bible. There are spiritual laws. Like if you, if you start in Genesis and start reading through the Bible, there are different things in the Bible that are facts, and they're good. They're profitable for you to understand that, but it's not what we're talking about. Facts don't necessarily equal truth. Um, uh, in fact, sometimes when we believe facts in the Bible without having an encounter with Jesus, all they do is strengthen the web of lies that the enemy has pulled over our eyes. And I know that that seems like the, the weirdest thing in the world. You mean reading the Bible will strengthen the enemy's lies? And it sounds like heresy, but case in point, the Pharisees. Nobody beat the Pharisees in the Bible bowl. They have blue ribbons hanging off every door mantle all over the refrigerator. The Pharisees knew the Bible inside and out, and all of that knowledge did nothing to clue them in on who Jesus was. All it did was blind them further of the truth that was standing in front of them. They knew facts, but they missed the truth. When the uneducated masses could see clearly who Jesus was, like they showed up and said, sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. The, the people that had no biblical knowledge could recognize Jesus for who he was, but the disciples that had studied their entire lives, the law and the prophecies, were clueless about who he was. So just because we amass biblical knowledge or biblical facts does not necessarily mean uh, that we have everything put together. Um, see, the truth that sets us free is not a spiritual law. It's not an event it's not a doctrine or a theology. It's not a verse or even a list of verses. It's not a method or denomination. It's not a creed or a practice. The truth that sets us free is the person of Jesus. It's not the stories about Jesus. It's not the doctrine of Jesus. It is Jesus as a person. It's not knowledge about him. It is him. He is the one that sets us free. And so many times in our Christian faith, we reduce Jesus to a system of belief. We reduce him to a doctrine. We reduce him to a theology. But he is wanting to have an encounter with us because it doesn't matter about the facts. Remember when I said you can't just drop into a story and tell someone that they're deceived. It, it takes relationship. Relationship is the only thing that unlocks uh, trust in someone's life. And Jesus doesn't want you to read a list of information about him. He wants to encounter you. And not just a one-time event, he wants to be friends with you. And as we develop a relationship with Jesus, that lie starts to unravel. Have you ever had a sweater that like gets a nick in it? And once that sweater gets a hold, the whole thing will start unraveling. It is Jesus that unravels the lie. It's not us finding the truth. It's not us figuring out the secret. It's not us going to the next latest, greatest uh, concert or event or Christian gathering. It is Jesus. And it's always ever been about Jesus. If we ever go to the gospel or go to scripture to find a greater truth or a greater reality, aside from that which Christ has already done in us, we are going to get off. It is all about what he's already done in us. Now, when we encounter him, there is something that unlocks in our hearts. 
that sets us free, turns us into different people. Now, don't equate, you know, remember when I said that, you know, facts didn't necessarily say truth. When you have an encounter with Jesus, don't think that it gets everything straight in your mind. Don't think that you can understand everything clearer. Don't think that, oh, well, I've got this now. I had an encounter with Jesus. I understand this. Because usually when you have an encounter with Jesus, things just get more confusing from there. Um, and if you, don't, if you don't think that that's funny, just hang out, hang out with him for a little bit. You read the way he talked to the disciples, talked to the Pharisees. Every time he said something, it's like, Jesus that was really confusing. Like you picked the most confusing way to say that possible. And there's just something about him. He's, uh, he doesn't really fit into our box. It's like when C.S. Lewis was talking about Aslan and uh, in uh, the Chronicles of Narnia said that he's not a tame lion. You know, when we have an encounter with Jesus, it, he doesn't fit into our box any, any better than he did before. Well, if the enemy has woven this web of lies and it's sitting like darkness over humanity, and the only way to get people freed from that darkness is to get them to have an encounter with Jesus. Like, how do we do that? Like, we are constantly looking for the method. Like, tell me the method of how to do this. Give me the seven steps. And I've got one. It's a very complicated procedure. So if you want to take notes out, um, we don't have it on the, on the Prezi, but it's hard. You walk outside your front door. Okay. I'll say it again just in case we, we missed on that you walk outside your front door. You go down and you buy your groceries and people's lives will get changed all around you without you even realizing it. I have often said that uh, accidental evangelism is way more effective than intentional evangelism. When you are chasing someone down the road like, sir, 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 can I have a moment of your time? I promise you that is no more effective than you living life next to someone. Because it, again, it's not about distributing facts about Jesus. It's about letting people encounter Jesus. Well, how do we let them encounter with Jesus? The hidden secret of the centuries, Jesus is hidden inside of you. See, those of us uh, here this morning, I'm not going to assume that everybody has, but those of us that have put their faith in Christ have been transformed. We've been empowered by the Holy Spirit. And we are like these conduits to heaven. You're not the source of an encounter, but you are a pipeline for where God is in heaven and we are on earth. You are the vessel that he uses to encounter people. See, there's something that's happened inside of you and it has turned you into a wonderful mirror. Even though that you feel that you're dirty, even though that you feel that you don't reflect Christ, you can list off the laundry list of different ways that you and Christ are not similar Jesus says that he has made you into a beautiful reflection of his glory, that the Holy Spirit gets to work on you and starts buffing your mirror. And every day, you reflect more and more of the glory of the Lord. It's like, um, it's like this. I've got lights, and I can, I can kind of blind those people. See, like, you can't see it, but the person that I'm blinding can see it. When, uh, when we put the the stage display up, the back of that styrofoam is coated in silver. And when it's laying here on the stage, it throws light into all these dark areas of the sanctuary. And you are like that. When you are walking down the street, minding your own business, frustrated about your finances, you are still reflecting the glory of the Lord. 
And when we can get you being Mr. Changed Mrs. Encounter around your lost family members, around your lost friends, around the lady that's backed up at the Walmart checkout line, when we get you around those people, they encounter Jesus, even if it's just for a moment of time. And when they encounter Jesus, it unlocks something inside of them. See, most of the life-changing encounters that I've had with the Lord outside of just my personal time with him um, have happened just by watching my friends do normal life. You know, I have a passionate heart for people because I am friends with people that have a passionate heart for people. I am a person that loves the word because I have spent time with friends that love the word. I operate in the prophetic, not because I've found the secret, it's because I've spent time with people, my friends that operate in the prophetic. It wasn't some secret that I learned. I encountered Jesus in the life of my friends and it set me free. All of a sudden, the lie disappeared. I can do that? I can love people? Yeah, you can love people. And it's not about understanding, church, this morning you can love people. That doesn't do you any good. You have to have an encounter with Jesus, and that has to unlock in your own individual heart. See, Paul talks about uh, this life-changing uh, conduit encounter process. I need to come up with some cool science fiction uh, phrase for it. But um, he talks about in uh, 2 Corinthians 5, starting in verse 16, says, So we've stopped evaluating others from merely a human point of view. At one time, we thought of Christ merely from a human point of view. How differently we know him now. Not how, like, Christ has been dead. Paul didn't say, how differently I think about him now. How differently do I know him now? Because Christ hasn't gone anywhere. He is still, it is still possible to have an individual relationship with him. Just like I'm friends with Aaron, I can have the exact same relationship with Christ because he hasn't gone anywhere. How, uh, how differently we know him now. This means that anyone that belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life has gone and the new life has begun. And all this is a gift from God who brought us back to himself through Christ. God has given us this task of reconciling people to him. For God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, no longer counting people's sins against them. And then he gave us this wonderful message of reconciliation. So we are Christ's ambassadors. And listen to this. God is making his appeal through us. Is he shouting from a megaphone from the sky? Nope. He picked me to be the conduit of his message. He is making his appeal through us. We speak for Christ when we plead, come back to God. For God made Christ who never sinned to be the offering for our sin so that we could be made right with God. You are the conduit of the gospel. And it's not you preaching. It's not you coming up with a great sermon. It's not you getting a megaphone and a soapbox to stand on in the street corner. It is about you being impacted by Christ and then you rubbing elbows with someone that's sitting next to you. And that spreads out in the earth like a, uh, like a ripple effect. You can't help but to change people's lives. Okay, so, well, so what? Like at the end of the day, like how, how does that help us? Like I need to have an encounter with Christ. Okay, can you introduce me to him? It's hard for me to introduce you to Christ, but Christ would love to introduce himself to you because there's no greater evangelist than Christ. 
He shows up and he takes care of it on his own. So this morning we've kind of talked about that the, the problem is not that the enemy has told us a lie, but he has deceived us with an entire worldview of lies and they all interconnect and they all build on each other. Well, in order to slip into our system and to teach us that we were being deceived, Christ established a relationship with us. And when we have that encounter with Christ, we have an encounter with truth. And an encounter with truth is inseparable to the person of Christ. You can't divide the two of them. You can't have truth over here and Jesus over here. When we encounter one, we encounter the other. And because of that encounter, Jesus is alive, and he is alive in me, and he is alive in me to transform the people around me. He has transformed me into a conduit of encounters. You know, if you're sitting here this morning, and, I, and like I said, I'm not going to assume that everybody in the room, I hate it when I rhyme. Can I just be honest with that? Like when I rhyme, it feels like I'm being phony. Um, so just have grace with me if all my points uh, start with the same letter. Um, if you're sitting here this morning and you think, well, I don't really have a relationship with Christ quite like that. Like, he's not like a friend like my buddy is. I've not had an encounter with him that's changed my life. I don't think less of you. I don't want to point you out. But like I said, Christ would love to introduce himself to you. If you could just close your eyes real quick. Um, it's not about me preaching a great sermon. It's not about us having great worship, even though that we have great worship. It is all about Jesus himself showing up to you and saying, I love you. Like, I know you think that I abandoned you, but I've never left you. I'm here for you. If you're sitting here this morning, your heart's racing because that's just what he does when he starts moving on our lives. You know, our, our heart rate goes up. If you would love to meet Jesus as a person, if you feel like all you've done is just read about him your whole life, if he just feels like a friend of a friend, if you can, just slip your hand up real quick. It's not to embarrass you or to point you out. Jesus doesn't feel like a close friend. Thank you. Are you sitting there this morning and you feel like he's distant? Do you feel like he's not a co-captain? He's not in the, the passenger seat of the car? That he's someone that you had an encounter with several years ago and you haven't been able to find him since? People talk about having a love for Jesus and you're like, I, I just, I'm not feeling it. I don't know what you're talking about. He hasn't gone anywhere. And even though that you feel that you're dirty and even though that you feel that you're a cloudy reflection of Jesus, you're not. He can clean you up better than you could ever imagine. He is the best 409 in the universe. And he has the ability to fix every bit of your junk this morning. So you can go ahead and uh, stand up and if I, I can get those that are helping me at the altar this morning to go ahead and come up. We're going to open up the altar. And again, it's like I said, it's not about me introducing you to Christ. It's about him showing up individually to you. So if you're here this morning and you're thinking, I don't have that close relationship with the Lord. He doesn't feel like a close friend. If, you, if you're one of those people that raised your hand this morning, I invite you to go ahead and come down. Let us pray with you. 
you know, and this is, and I said before that this isn't just a one-shot deal. It's not about meeting him once and then you're, uh, you're fine. It's about being a part of the body. It's about being a part of this family. It's about spending time with him as he develops that relationship with you. So go ahead and come on down and get prayer, but stick around for a few months. Stick around for a few years, and I promise you, you will begin to grow after that. So let me pray for us, and uh, then we'll open up the altars for a bit. Uh, Father, we just uh, we lift up every bit of concern, every bit of weight that's on our shoulders, every mistake, every wrong action, every lie that the enemy has told us. Lord, we lift all of that up to you and just say, Jesus, we don't, we don't have the ability to handle this. And we look to you to be able to fix our problems. Just like the man that came up for you to, to be healed says, Lord, you know, if you're willing, make me clean and heal me. And you said that I am willing, be healed. Father, we know that you're willing to clean up our mess. So this morning, we just invite you to get right in the middle of it, God. That you would pick the messiest room in our house and start doing a work in us. Lord, that you would tell us, that you would introduce us to the truth. We don't need the latest, greatest secret. We need to have an encounter with you, Lord. So come meet with us this morning. If you need prayer, go ahead and come on forward.